like to talk and read all things books and mystery. Funny stories. The characters of youth always tend to be a sleuth. The Hardy Boys will do. Don't forget Nancy Drew. It's a clue. Hi, Super Sleuths. I'm Kelly. And I'm Karen. Welcome to It's a Clue, a faux crime comedy podcast for amateur sleuths. That is us. That is us and you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this week, Kelly, our very first super sleuth special episode. Yay! We're, we're taking a very brief pause from our friend Nancy Drew. We're going to talk about another YA mystery book, uh, which is The Westing Game by Ellen Raskin. And I think, Kelly, this is inarguably one of your favorite books of all time is that true it is that is absolutely correct it is absolutely one of my favorite books this was like a a, like a seventh grade read for me and it just like stuck with me i can't tell you what else i read in seventh grade other than this book but (laughs) well this was a good a good one to stick with you i am now on team westing game (laughs) well Um, good good we have a few things that are up for debate this week and maybe we'll we'll solve these mysteries by the end are you ready I'm ready. Would you buy wind clopple toilet paper, or <laughs> do you think that the Westing brand is a different is a better branding choice? An interesting question. I want to vote wind clopple just because it's such a good name. I agree. I'm I'm all about wind clopple. Yeah. Uh, fo- next question. Follow up question. Who gets to save up six months of PTO, pay time off, and take it all in one fell swoop? That. This question, like, speaks to my soul because, <laughs> the, like, the the idea of a six month vacation, just like I, I'm cool. I'm just gonna save it all and let it roll over. Sounds amazing. I think that is not in any co- corporate policy ever. I don't. I'm. I guess things were different in '78, but um, also it just like ugh, I'm like rendered obsolete, right? Like. <laughs> Those are the only words that come to mind, so I hope that works out for Sidel. They they could find out in a hurry that they don't need you to come back. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know what? We covered it just fine. My next question, very Seattle-based question here. Mm -hmm. In this book, we have a character named Otis, who is a delivery boy. He is Mm -hmm. making constant trips on his bike to deliver, like, big grocery orders back and forth to these condos. So my Mm -hmm. question is... Is this the inspiration for Amazon and or <laughs> is Otis, in fact, Jeff Bezos? Oh, an interesting <laughs> twist. Yes, it is very like early Instacart. Yes. Yeah. Non-internet based Instacart. Yeah. I don't want to live. I don't want to live in that world. Um, Agreed. Final- I, 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 I don't think I'll ever go back in a grocery store. <laughs> yes. Um, final question for you. I'm ready. There are are some bombs that happen in this book. I, or they Several. call them they call them bombs. I would say they're more incendiary devices, but, you know, whatever. Why, when the bomb squad is called each of these times, do they not care? They're very, they're very unconcerned. <laughs> you know, I, I had the same question. I was like, man, we've got some, like, a, a real, like, Nancy Drew level response mm-hmm. to uh, a real River Heights bomb squad on this case. So <laughs> yes. there's lots of, like... The snow made it happen, kind of situation. Yeah. So like I'll I'll buy that the first time, but the third one, let's let's see a little bit more like 
lickety split in our chip chops. I don't know what that means. Yeah, there was there was zero pep in the step of the bomb squad. I would yes. I would have thought they would have been like, oh, we have something to do for the first time. Thank you. And hopefully you. a long time. But they were like, yeah, fine. It's fine. Don't worry. Yeah, it's fine. I mean, and people are like getting injured. Ambulances are called. Insurance claims are being called in. And they're like, it was probably just the snow. Yep, just the snow. All right. Well, I'm glad I wasn't the only one left with no, some questions. No. <laughs> it was um, it was concerning. Mm-hmm. Before we talk about this book, and we have much to discuss, uh, much to discuss. How was your week? And did you do any more dollhousing? <laughs> uh, yes, my week was great. <laughs> I my my week my my days in quarantine have been. I mean, I'm not complaining. This is. I think I've kind of found like my ideal day structure i just i'm so sad that it's getting ready to end and i'm gonna have to like rejoin the workforce but yeah my days have pretty much been like hanging out with my cat doing stuff around the house playing with my dollhouse and like otherwise settling into like the 75 year old version of myself just i love it like 40 years early. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I'm, I have so many like granny activities that I like to do, but one of them is my dollhouse, which I have felt a modicum of shame about because I'm like, this is, this is like really nerdy. And it's I've decided not. I don't care and it's really fun and I like, I'm enjoying doing it. Um, so yes, I played with my dollhouse and I'm, I'm building a little pink kitchen. Um, oh, also, I should just mention that it is a bungalow. <laughs> I knew it. Yes. I, I, mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah. When, uh, I, I think you actually figured this out. I think I sent you a picture and you were like, that is in fact a bungalow. It is, it is like <laughs> it a, is. the, the second floor is a single tiny little room that's built into the peak of the attic, which is like the definition of a bungalow. So I, I do think I need to move forward at this point, make some different interior design choices, like, you know, put a canoe on the wall. Oh, please, um, please do. You know, tie up one of the figurines. <laughs> um, <laughs> You know, stick a match in a brick wall, you know, just like really try to make it authentic. So Yeah, you're gonna have to like figure out a way to like make a, a basement underneath of it to hide your your kidnap victims oh, in. <laughs> good idea. Yes. I can like have all kinds of little trapdoors all over it. And, I love that. I I yeah. fully support you. Thank you. Thank you. How about you? What were you up to this week? Um, this week, my quick thing, we finally got a vaccine appointment, so I'm so yes. happy. Um, That's we- so exciting. Oh, one. I speaking of which, I did actually, I went to Michael's this week, which oh. is literally the first time I have been in any kind of retail establishment in a year. And it was weird. I'm sure it was. It also sounds magical. Like, I can't even it remember was magical. what that's like. It was magical. It was, it was truly magical. Like, I've had both vaccines. I've, like gone through the waiting period and everything and i'm like you know i could just go into that store and get the thing that i need and oh it was great so i'm i'm excited for you two to be able to return to michael's oh i that's all i want i just want to buy like one crafting supply that i don't really need (laughs) exactly and that you don't have to like order online and then justify in your own brain that you're gonna like ship it and create a hole in the ozone layer and you know all of those things so 
I don't know how all that adds. Oh, oh, I've been meaning to ask you. Okay. Um, has there been any further movement on the mystery of the glove in the window? <laughs> oh, there has. And I am so glad that you asked. Uh, so, so just real quick, like, if you haven't listened to episode four, Karen, in the middle of our <laughs> recording session, Karen was like, something weird has just happened and describes the scenario in which, like, out of the corner of your eye, you catch... Like what you initially thought was a hand, I just like it was a, a hand of a human, a dismembered hand flying through a third story window in an adjacent townhome. Yes, come to find out, it's actually like a work glove, a leather like gardening glove. Yes, and as I recall, your engagement in that mystery was to like batten down the hatches, roll down the blinds. My engagement like hide under was, a bed. I was, yeah. it was a low engagement level. It was a fear-based approach. I did not, I did not initially <laughs> sleuth. However, you're about to be so proud of me. Sleuthing has commenced. And oh my goodness. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've solved the mystery. I also employed some tactics that we've learned from Nancy Drew <laughs> to solve this mystery. Um, did you, did it require a flashlight? It didn't, but it did require Two, two, many things, but two specific things that I know will make you laugh, and that is why I'm so proud of them. Uh, the first one, remember when Nancy grabbed the owl by the body and threw it out a window? Yes. I, I didn't do that, but it did require ornithology, <laughs> which we learned was something that was important to her. So yes. Ornithology yes. is involved, and also uh, one of Nancy's other classic techniques, which is eavesdropping. <laughs> Ah, yes, a go-to technique of just being in the right place at the right time and listening. 100%. So here's here's how this went down. So after we finished recording on the Sunday, I went outside at some point and I looked up at this third story window and this glove was still there. And it was not, as I thought, from the angle I could see this hanging from the window. So it wasn't like somebody like hung this out the window to like dry. I don't know. It uh-huh. it was actually like stuck to the front of the siding of this townhouse on the third story, which is odd. Like Ooh, near weird. the window, but the that's window weird. was closed. It I was like, that's super bizarre. And it was there for like several days. So flash forward to this weekend and I was having a, a nice cat nap on the couch. The windows were open. It was like 78 degrees. It was so beautiful here. And I hear the neighbors in the courtyard talking. And my ears perk mm. up because they're like, you have you having trouble with – and I'm like, having trouble with what? And it was what? with woodpeckers. So there is like a woodpecker infestation of the townhomes, and they've been like pecking holes on people's houses. And the conversation I overheard, one neighbor was saying to the other like, hey, I was just watching it peck on your house, and it, it broke through. Like it's – it's it has now – there's wait, a breach. A breach has wait, occurred. what? Yeah. Like, <laughs> like- the – like the, like you could be sitting on your couch and see the face of a woodpecker. The face of a woodpecker could come in. So like there was a breach. <laughs> the woodpeckers have now also been proceeding to like peck insulation out of the breaches that they've created. So there's like tumbleweeds flying around, and I was so, like, so they're like they're kind of inappropriately named. They should be like anything peckers. Yes, like which sounds filthy but you gonna, know what i mean gonna mess your house up doom yeah. birds so i'm doom like birds. wait a second <laughs> wait a dang second so i come back up to my desk where i saw this happen and i sit down and this is where i sit for work every day so i stare at this wall a lot it's like right behind uh-huh. my computer the, screen the, the wall with the with the glove yes and i'm okay. like 
You know what? I have witnessed on several occasions a bird, like, in that general vicinity of where the glove appeared. And it, it just kind of looked like a crow to me. It was just kind of... I, I, I'm, I wasn't the, prior the bird, to this an ornithologist. like a professional? <laughs> Is that I, what you said? It looked like a crow. <laughs> a crow. I thought you said it looked like a pro. And I was like, I... Well, you're what not wrong. What does an amateur woodpecker look like? <laughs> you're not wrong. This bird is a pro because so then I start, like you do, Googling woodpecker facts. And I was like, not- you got you to gotta be, gotta be real careful with that Google search, I'd imagine. Incognito mode only. Uh, so, <laughs> so woodpeckers are very notorious for like hoarding things. And typically it's like food that they're hoarding, but they'll peck these holes and then they will plug them up with items that they find <gasps> to like store them away. And I replayed in my mind when I saw this, like, flash in my hand, and I do think I saw a bird fly away around the same time. And it was, like, very sudden. It wasn't like I looked over and a glove was hanging there. It was like this thing appeared, like, flapping in the breeze. Oh, my gosh. That so is I crazy. I think a woodpecker had pecked a hole. I think it found this glove breezing around. Uh-huh. It flew it up there and it plugged its hole to protect its acorn stash. He oh oh so you think he like put food in there and then like shoved the glove in to, to like insulate it? I do I do think from that. the outside world. I don't think I I don't think that there was like glove appreciation happening. I think he was like protect the acorns at all costs. Utilitarian cost. item. Winter could come at any moment. It is Seattle. Do, so do birds eat acorns? Woodpeckers like hoard them apparently. Like they'll peck really? a bunch of holes in one tree and then fill like forty holes with a single acorn. At least this is what the internet tells me. I don't know, man. I googled it for like five minutes. <laughs> I I wonder if like trees ever start to grow out of the sides of how ha- out of the sides of houses. Oh, like a sub tree. Yeah, or a tree out of the side of another tree. Ooh, tricky. At any rate, I wanted to let. Yeah. Yes, thank you for asking. I've been dying to tell you. Um, it is <sighs> almost certainly woodpecker related and then we had a windstorm and the glove blew away and this is over now but uh but i think i think i think you solved i think you solved the mystery i think so too i mean that that makes 100 percent sense so good excellent sleuthing i feel like you've learned some things don't underestimate the power of eavesdropping kelly don't 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 get don't get too good at this or else you'll no longer be an amateur and then who will i co-host this podcast with senior detective Karen Farmer. Mm, I'll get I'll uh-oh. get a promotion. <laughs> it's like and, and then you're my boss. <laughs> I'm I'm Carson Drew. <laughs> oh, perfect. Perfect. That's fine. I'm I'm perfectly willing to take instruction these days. So <laughs> whatever you want. Um okay, well, we should probably dig in because this this book is a little bit dense. Yes. Especially especially after like three weeks of Nancy Drew books, which let's be honest, are like eating ice cream. They just This felt like a like, num 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 num. This felt like a Russian novel compared to Nancy Drew. <laughs> <laughs> it did feel like a Russian novel. Yes. This was borscht. Nancy Drew's ice cream much more difficult to get through. Yep. It just like the mystery is much more complex, which is part of the fun of it. So, um so like you kind of mentioned already, I was dying to cover the Westing game because I love this book from childhood and when I, I mean, that was like a real revelation on our first, um, our first reading list episode where I brought this book up. Um, and 
you like revealed that you'd never read it and i had no idea like we literally didn't pick this book on purpose it like because of that it just i kind of was like let's do this book and yeah so i'm super jazzed you hadn't read it because that's gonna be like way more fun i've read it several times since i was a kid and so you know i i knew what the ending was i kind of knew where the twists were gonna come i knew who the players were so it'll it'll be really fun i think to to hear your impressions but um before we like dig in i just thought i would give a little bit of backstory on the book and ellen raskin the author just for funsies yay um published in 78 by e.p dutton um dutton would now like its parents its parent publishing organization would be penguin and now it's penguin random house ah yes um it won the 1979 newberry medal oh and i didn't know what the newberry medal was do you i can like picture it i know what it looks like on the the cover of a book it's like a beautiful golden embossed seal and i'm always like oh this book must be good but i don't know what it it actually is (laughs) yeah so so I, i looked it up um it is it's awarded annually by the ALA, the American Library Association, for a distinguished the most distinguished American children's book published in the previous year. Got it. Um so this one in 79, um a couple other interesting ones and I mean there's, you know, one one of these is awarded every year, so there's a ton of great books on this list, but um The Giver won it in 1994. Oh, another I one of my love favorites. The Giver. So good. Um 1990 was Number of the Stars. Oh, yep, yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, 78, which br- was Bridge to Terabithia. Okay. And 1968 was from the Mixed Up Files of <gasps> Mrs. Basilie Frankweiler. Yes! That was my book that I picked for the <laughs> next one. That makes me so happy. I know. And, and interestingly, like, those two books are a decade apart. I didn't realize that Frankweiler was was like a, it published in the 60s i had, no, I had idea. no idea that book was that old yeah i'm yeah. really surprised to hear that but cool but cool and and i haven't read that one so i'm really jazzed about oh, that but kelly you're gonna love I know. it i just um i ordered a used copy of it and it just got here so yeah i'm like i'm but i'm making myself wait um so ellen raskin was actually primarily an illustrator and she illustrated the original book cover for A Wrinkle in Time. She what? did write, like, mm-hmm. Um, like, if you go to her, like, if you, like, Google her and go to w- her Wikipedia page, you'll see, like, all that she's done. And, I mean, her her illustration credits on books are, like, ten times longer than the books she wrote. It's, re- it's really kind of interesting. That is a great um, fun fact. I Wow. Mm-hmm. I think her degree, if I'm remembering correctly, was actually in fine art. Like, okay. it's not like she majored in writing or English or anything like that. Like, she majored in art. Um, the book ranked number one among all time children. The book ranked number one among all time children's novels in a survey from the School Library Journal in 2012. Oh, that's so. Wow. Yeah. It's got staying um, power. <laughs> it has. Thank you. Has some staying power. And like with that note, it has been turned into a movie once before in 1997. I'm, I think it was like a, t- a made for TV movie kind of thing in, okay. in 97. And it was it's called Get a Clue. Hmm. Um, but it sounds like HBO is having it turned into like some kind of mini series for yes. HBO Max. So that got announced like kind of in the the late 
fall of like 2020. So it's it's not it doesn't seem like it's going to be like out any minute, you know, it's probably going to be a while. But I mean, again, like staying power, right? I am so excited for HBO to make this into a show. Same. Oh, I I was like casting this in my head the whole time I was Ooh, I'm nice. reading it. I, I kind of had to because there are so many characters that I needed to have like a a very strong yeah. image of each person in my mind. So I cannot wait to watch this and see who who gets to play these roles. Yeah, no, cool. I'm I'm super excited. Like I've I've never seen it. On the big screen, you know, and in like HBO, everything they do seems kind of amazing. So, um, so my question is, Karen, since this is your first time going through it, like, just what were your impressions? Did you like it? Did you hate it? Did did I over? Did I totally oversell it? Like, oh yeah, what did you think? Oh, I loved it. You did not oversell it. I absolutely loved it. I'm not just saying that because you would be. <laughs> You would be an angry sister if I if I was. Like, I, I, I wouldn't it. be angry, but I would write in my diary a lot. <laughs> Dear diary, Karen's the worst. Um, no, I no, loved I'd be it. like, I don't know how. I don't. I guess I recommended a book she didn't like. I would go really <laughs> war about it. So well, what I loved about it too is that I felt like this book had something for everyone. Gonna do like my Jonathan Van Ness voice here. Like it had romance, it had humor, it had danger, <laughs> it had it had twins. <laughs> like, <laughs> or did it? Or did it? I loved it. I loved it. Um, and I I thought about you the whole time I was reading it too, knowing that you have felt very strongly about this book for a long time and were rereading it. Did it thrill you as much as it did in previous reads? Do you still love it? No, I I totally still love it. Um, I think I'm maybe a little more critical of it than I was when I was a kid and read it, which kind of makes sense. Um, but no, I still totally love it. I think I think the characters are so good, you know. Um, like you really can kind of picture them, and that's pretty amazing for I mean the amount of characters in this book and the short amount of pages she has to like convey all this information. I mean it's. You can picture them, so yep, yep. yeah. No, I still totally love it, and okay. I'm glad you did too. I'm thank I'm you, so thank relieved. you for at least. I mean, lying, you know, if that's what you know. <laughs> no lies on the podcast. Truth only. Um, <laughs> Truth only. Well, we decided that this week we're gonna pause on the one sentence plot, one sentence plot contest because there is. A- a lot to talk about, uh, as we have alluded to already. Um, we'll get back to that, though, with our next Nancy Drew book. Um, before we move on, though, I would be remiss if I didn't say this directly at least, like, three times. We are about to completely spoil this book. Like, so yes. many spoilers are coming. Spoilers! So, spoilers! Like, it's it's gonna happen. So if you haven't read The Westing Game, or if you intend to and will be brokenhearted if you know how this mystery is solved you may want to pause now or uh yeah. just you know accept your fate because it's gonna happen so just to, yeah it, it's just is what it is i mean but yes you've you you've been warned yes and so with with my due diligence being done there uh kelly would you like to do our super fast plot overview? I I would love to do it, except I will tell you today it's going to be a medium fast plot overview because <laughs> oh, wow, I started writing this and was like, oh my gosh, I don't even know how to type up a plot summary for this. So um, I was I was so glad that it wasn't my week to do wasn't your super turn. fast plot overview. I was like, oh man, good luck. <laughs> yeah, we're, I'm I'm going to do my best. So okay, you ready? 
Ready. I'm going to take a swig of my drink. <laughs> I'll be faster with a little claw on me. <laughs> <laughs> That's what she said. Oh, you got wow. it. This is clearly going to get it out. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. Okay. You ready? Ready. Sunset Towers, a new glass-fronted lakeside apartment building that strangely faces east toward the Westing Mansion, even though everyone knows the sun sets in the west, is available for lease. Six families, and only six families, receive a letter advertising the available property, and without fail, all six lease space in Sunset Towers from realtor Barney Northrup. On Halloween night, many of the new tenants notice smoke coming out of the Westinghouse. Everyone knows that the Westinghouse has been deserted for years, ever since eccentric millionaire and owner of Westing Paper Products, Sam Westing, disappeared after a car crash. The massive company around which the town of Westington is built is now run by chairman of the board, Julian Eastman. Tales of Sam Westing's corpse rotting away in the mansion proved to be too enticing to leave as mere stories. 13-year-old Turtle, who is well known for kicking anyone who touches her braid, bets the doorman, Sandy McSuthers, and several others that she can stick around in the mansion after dark without being too frightened. They agree to pay her $2 for every minute she can stick it out. That night, while inside the house, Turtle stumbles upon the dead body of Sam Westing in the master bedroom. She flees the house in terror. The next day, the paper announces that Sam Westing is in fact dead. Shortly thereafter, a delivery man, Otis Amber, delivers 16 letters to the potential heirs of Sam Weston, all of whom are tenants or workers at Sunset Towers. They are called to the Westing Mansion for the reading of the will. During the reading of this cryptic will, Sam Westing seems to speak directly to his potential heirs from beyond the grave and seemingly accuses one of them of his murder. The 16 heirs are paired into eight teams. Each team is given $10,000 and a set of one-word clues. The teams will be given two days' notice before the next session, at which time they must give an answer. The goal is to win, and whoever gets the answer right will win Sam Westing's $200 million fortune. Westing tells the players, it's not what you have, it's what you don't have that counts. Most believe that the object of the game is to identify Mr. Westing's murderer, but Turtle believes the goal is to invest the money using the clues as stock tips, and Judge Ford believes that Sam Westing is playing a nefarious game from beyond the grave to punish his ex-wife, Bertha Erica Crow, now the Sunset Tower's cleaning woman, who he blames for their daughter's death. While some share their clues with other teams, most operate independently, not wanting to have to split the inheritance further when they win. Finally, the time comes for the teams to announce their guesses to the Westing Riddle. The heirs return to the Westing House, and each team receives another $10,000. One by one, the guesses are announced. The attorney then dramatically opens the next message from Sam Westing and announces that all the answers are wrong, but they will have one more chance to get it right. The heirs finally decide to compile their clues and split the inheritance 16 ways. Once the clues are laid out, they form the lyrics to America the Beautiful, but there are syllables missing. Remember, it's what you don't have that counts. The missing syllables spell out Bertha Erica Crow, the name of Westing's ex-wife. 
Judge Ford defends Crow against the dead man's accusation of murder, and none of the heirs are willing to accuse her just to win the inheritance. Just then, doorman Sandy McSuthers falls to the floor in convulsions and dies. Crow names herself as the answer to the Westing game, tells the attorney how to divvy up her inheritance, and is promptly arrested by the town sheriff. Turtle is devastated at her friend Sandy McSuthers' death, and she isn't convinced that Crow is the right answer. Later that night, Turtle realizes that Sandy McSuthers and Barney Northrup were the same person. She had kicked Barney hard the day before, but Sandy bore the telltale bruise and limp. She quickly comes to the realization that Sandy and Barney were also one and the same with Sam Westing. Westing did not die the night she found his body. The body had in fact been a clever wax dummy that Westing used to set this game in motion. Turtle convinces the others that the answer is that Sandy quote-unquote killed Westing. In other words, Westing faked his death and assumed the Sandy McSuthers identity, and Sandy had subsequently died from a terminal illness. Crow is released by the police for lack of evidence of murder because there was no body and there was no murder, and a final portion of Westing's will concludes the game with everyone winning the money they've already been given, but no more. Little do they know that Turtle has figured out the real Westing mystery. In reviewing Sidel Pulaski's transcript of the will, Turtle realizes that the true mystery was not to discover who the murderer was, but to find the fourth. This meaning and clue was lost during the initial reading because of pauses between sections and various interruptions from the heirs. The next morning, Turtle makes her way to the home of the fourth, Julian Eastman, the chairman of the board of Westing Paper Products, also known as Sam Westing, also known as Sandy McSuthers, also known as Barney Northrup. East, West, South, North. Turtle wins the Westing game. She has figured out the final mystery, to find the fourth identity of Sam Westing. And she will go on to eventually take over the company. Even though she won, all the heirs ultimately are winners. They all win some money, and more importantly, discover things about themselves that help them improve their lives. Many years later, all have become better versions of themselves, thanks to the lessons inherited from the Westing game. The end. Beautiful. <laughs> that was impressive. <laughs> I need the other half of my claw. <laughs> so we had four kind of hot topics that we wanted to cover today, if I mm-hmm. captured this correctly, Kelly. Um, and what were they, Karen? Well, as always, first we would like to discuss the solving of the mystery. What were the techniques, mm-hmm. the tactics, the clues? We would also like to double-click on who is Sam Westing, just talk about him a little bit, and also talk about the characters, so the the 16 heirs to his estate. Mm-hmm. Perfect. We want to talk about the women in this book. Very fascinating uh, insight into how the author felt about women and their position in the world at this time, so we wanted to focus there. And then, last but not least, the ending. The ending of this mm-hmm. saga. How did we feel about it? Et cetera. Et cetera. Does that sound good? Fantastic. That sounds great. Cool. I'm in. And before we do that, uh, overall impressions of this book, Kelly, general thoughts and musings, as you said last week. (laughs) Yes. General thoughts and musings. Okay. I'm going to share two things with you, and I'm curious if you felt the same way. I mean, the first one, like, 
kind of, I mean, I'm not like coming up with anything original here. Like this, this is out there, but I mean, it definitely, I has a very like Agatha Christie mm-hmm. knives out kind of vibe. Oh, right? yes. Yes. Great comparison. Um, which I love knives out. I'm sure a lot of us did. Um, and, and it's because it's this like, it, it's not really a closed door mystery, like in the in the traditional sense of a closed door mystery, but it's a closed door mystery in that like there is a specific number of people that could have done this, and it had to be one of them. Like, there's not going to be a random you know character that nobody's met that comes in on a white horse at the eleventh hour, and that's the killer. You know, like it's yeah. we know it's one of these people. So, um, the other thing, and I'm curious if you thought this at all, but. I don't, and I don't think I've ever, like, put this comparison together in my mind before reading it before, but this time I was getting, like, a real Willy Wonka vibe. Oh, totally. I completely agree. Yes. Yeah, it just, like, they're, you know, if you compare kind of, like, Sam Westing and Willy Wonka, like, they're both kind of these eccentric millionaires that, like, they're, they're not necessarily good people. Maybe they're not like evil but they're not good and and then there's this whole thing of like tricking people and at the end of the day they're trying to find the heir to not just their fortune not just their money but to inherit their business yeah i just yeah totally picked up on that vibe and like it's a little bit less of the golden ticket scenario because let's be Correct. real, like in- inheriting a paper factory isn't quite as cool as inheriting the chocolate factory, but it's the, yes, yeah, it's, the like, it's like, it's like Willy Wonka meets Dunder Mifflin. Like, it's not as cool. But, <laughs> yes. But yes. I thought about Dunder Mifflin so much reading this. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I completely agree. So like that would make Turtle kind of our, our Charlie in this scenario. Yeah. The characteristics that make Charlie the the inheritor, the heir at the end of all of this, or that he's, you know, honorable and innocent and pure of heart and, um, you know, all of those things, right? But it's like Turtle, the things that make her the heir are she's quick-witted and a little bit sly and insightful and can yeah. keep a secret, you know? and. Like they're all good, they're all good traits, but it's it's just interesting. Like you know, this is a little bit more of capitalism in our faces. Um, oh yeah, and you know, being pure of heart is not is not the thing that lets her win. Otherwise, like Flora Bombach would have won. Totally. Yep. Yep. So, yeah. Um, how about you? General thoughts and musings. General thoughts and musing. So I, I already kind of like said my enthusiastic piece about this. I, I really loved it. And one of the things that stuck out to me, uh, so my copy of this book had a really awesome foreword in it. Oh, and nice. it was it was written by one of Ellen Raskin's best friends that she had known like her whole adult life. It was it's a woman who worked in the publishing industry, but they were like very mm-hmm. close personal friends and it was it was really touching like she writes a lot about who Ellen was as a person and kind of her approach to writing. And there uh-huh. were two things that like jumped out at me and so I I was kind of reading for them out of curiosity, but one of the things that she said that I thought was fascinating as a crime and mystery writer was that Ellen didn't map out the whole end-to-end progression of the mystery and the clues before she wrote it. 
Oh, really? So she was kind of like writing it as she goes, solving the mystery as she goes. And then this friend of hers was like her buddy who would help look for any plot holes or things that she missed. But Oh, cool. And she had said to this friend, if I knew what was going to happen when I started writing it, like that wouldn't be any fun, would it? Like I wouldn't have fun writing it. And I'm like, that is super (laughs) interesting. Yeah. Well, and I mean, maybe that's how I should write a mystery novel. Because the, the, the part that always stumps me is like, that that I get befuddled with is sitting down and plotting it out. And right. like, how am I going to twist it up? And, you know, and like, you, you have this mentality of like, you have to start with the end in mind, and then like, unravel it backwards, if that makes any sense. Yeah. And that is, that's what I have always heard and known to be true. And she's just like, eh, no, we'll just, we'll figure it out eh, as we go, which I thought was out when we get there. awesome. Um, and then- huh. The other thing that I thought was really interesting is that, you know, despite the fact that she's an illustrator and has written and worked on a lot of like YA, what we would call YA now and like children's books, is that Ellen didn't think of herself as a children's writer. She's like, I Uh write books. And she actually thinks that one of the things that's interesting about her work is that it is has the appearance of being written for children, but could also be interesting to adults as well. Absolutely. Um, and I I was like, it is. I'm, I'm an adult and I find this very interesting. So I mean, you you would not know, like, I, that you, you know how when you, like, hear a word that you've never heard before, then you hear it, like, every day for the next three million weeks. times, yeah. yeah. Like, that's been happening with me in the Westing game, where we – talked about how we were going to do this book. And over the last month, I have seen more people from all different areas of my life, like not not intersecting areas of my life at all. Um, people on social media talking about this book and how they're rereading it or they're reading it to one of their children for the first time or like, whatever. I mean, there have been probably five or six different people. And it's so bizarre. And it's all adults, you know, now, some <laughs> yep. of them are introducing it to their children, but it's all adults who still love this book. And yep. I mean, we've even gotten some comments on our Instagram feed and stuff about, you know, people saying the same thing about how much they love this book. And I mean, again, staying power, right? Yep. Yep. I, I think because it's like, I don't think people are looking back on it with nostalgia necessarily. Like, I think that's part of it. But it's also like, no, that was just a really good book. <laughs> for sure. Yeah. I, I also have caught plenty of flack for not having read this before. So I'm very <laughs> glad that that has been taken care of. <laughs> yes, you can. Uh, we have righted that wrong. <laughs> um. Well, so like digging into solving the mystery a little bit, like, you know, there part of the reason I think personally that this mystery is so juicy is that it has really traditional kind of mystery riddles in it, right? So okay. like we have we have the will, um, which is just one big riddle. You know, like it's that's in that ultimately like solving the riddle that's buried in the will actually ends up being the answer to the Westing game. Right. It, but then there's also the clues that, you know, like the uh, all of the teams get individual words on um, cut up people, pieces of Westing Paper Company paper towel. Um, which, <laughs> which, you know, <laughs> which my favorite is that Turtle eats the pieces of paper towel because <laughs> no, she right? doesn't she doesn't trust anyone enough. And she's like, someone will take my clue. And she eats the paper towel. <laughs> and she's probably not wrong. <laughs> 
was like, man, those must be absorbent. Like, <laughs> yes. Woof. Um, <laughs> so, like, you know, there, there are just, like, there's really traditional riddle puzzle solving, right? And, like, that's so fun from a reader's perspective. But, like, my biggest thing why this book is awesome for me and it's it's why the solving of the mysteries is, is fun and why I think this book is so many people still love this book like 30 years later after reading it the first time is that because we have access to all of the information we we're not just following along behind one character we're omniscient we can see into all of these people's heads we have access to all of their clues we have information that n- not we have more information than any one character does Yes. It gives us this sense that, like, we should be able to solve it, too. We should be able to solve it before they do. If we're smart enough, if we pay close enough attention, if we sleuth it out, we we could solve this before anybody in the book does. Totally. The thing that I just thought of when you said that is, like, it's like you're watching a poker tournament on TV and you're the cameraman mm-hmm. and you can see what everybody has in their hand and what's on the table exactly. and you you know before any one of them does like how this is going to play out. I, you're so right. right. And like I just think that makes it fun, right? Because even even reading it back this time and I I know what's going to happen. I know, you know, where the twists are and everything. I still have that feeling of could I have solved this? And I could have, you know, if I if I the first time I had read it had sleuthed it out the right way i could have solved solved it before turtle did um and i don't know i just i really love that i mean not that we're trying to compare this to nancy drew or anything but you know nancy drew books are like (laughs) yeah i I mean nancy nancy drew books are set up like kind of like in a classic mystery style where we we follow nancy we are inside nancy's brain um we don't know what helen's thinking we don't right. know what the criminal's thinking. We know what what Nancy is thinking and what she sees. So we are only ever going to be as smart as Nancy is, which is fine. You know, it's just yeah. like a different way of exploring and investigating a mystery. But this is different. And I think it's fun in that way. So, Well, and um, as a, a first time reader of this. I I have a white a whiteboard in my office area and I was like did you did you like homeland this out Oh I did I was like taking notes my girl. I every time a clue was revealed I like added it to the list I was it, <laughs> it was happening up here like beautiful mind style so I had a great okay, time Okay so so did you I'm curious like which which parts of it did you figure out I so I feel like I I, I for sure did not solve the entire like series of mysteries that were wrapped mm-hmm. up in this but the part that i figured out pretty clearly from my my whiteboarding was that the clues collectively spelled out the song america the beautiful mm-hmm. um so like that seemed fairly obvious to me because the clues were like amber and waves and <laughs> right <laughs> america <laughs> i was like oh, okay i see where this is going but i know i for sure i did not win the senior detective award for this one i i failed well that's a strong junior detective win though thank you so much you know and we're You're only welcome. on like episode five so i got time i'm growing myself yeah, we're, we're learning we're learning um did you pick up on the the directional thing the north south east west i didn't not until the very end and i i I don't know if you felt this way but like did you feel 
ashamed of yourself I did. <laughs> for not picking well, up on that. One hundred percent, and especially like in in a year or two when you go back and reread it, knowing that that's what it is, it is so obvious. Like, yeah. And and so I was really curious. I'm like, okay, is this really obvious? How or is it is it obvious as an adult, even if you're a first time reader, or is it really not? Because it they they weave like the words wind and windy and I mean it's it's all very it's kind of blatant, which again, like it's part of the reason why I like this book where I mean, you do feel a little bit dumb for not getting it, but <laughs> yes. part of part of the brilliance of that is like she wasn't trying to trick us. No. You know, like it's she's not she's like all of the information is here. You have access to it is again like as opposed to that like, you know, fictitious mystery I keep talking about where like at the 11th hour some random character gets introduced and they're the criminal and we would have had no way of knowing that person even existed. Like that's not a good mystery because we can't we don't have the the information to even begin to try to solve it. This we 100% had all the information we just didn't. We right. Couldn't. Right. And it also, again, not to like compare apples to oranges here, but um, it, I liked that it that I couldn't solve it. I liked that it was hard for me. And mm-hmm. I, I was like, I, I got to keep going. I don't know what the answer is. Because in the three Nancy Drew books that we've read previously, that wasn't always my experience. I'm like, okay, I Correct. see where this is going. So I really liked that I felt kind of dumb. <laughs> yeah, I it's absolutely. I mean, nobody wants to solve the mystery. Right? I mean, that that doesn't make it any fun. I, I was complaining in the last book about that, about the bungalow mystery. I was like, I had to figure it out in 14 pages or whatever, you know? Yeah. That's no fun. So, you know, a good mystery, I think, in my opinion, is one where you can't figure it out. You don't you don't know what's going to happen. But in in retrospect, you had all the information. You just didn't put it together. That is beautifully stated. Thank you. Okay, moving on. The red herrings. I uh, there are red herrings all over this place, and part of me thinks that like that's why the the red herrings really disguise the obvious wind and the directionals, and you know all of those those like pretty like substantial clues that are dropped because they're so ensconced in these red herrings. So, like for example, yeah, I'm like, um, tell me, I I believe I know what a red herring is, but what what were they in this book? So, like, thing, things that intentionally, or, or not intentionally, but but they throw you off the trail kind okay. of thing, right? Okay. So, like, m- my favorite one is the bomber. Oh, right? so, like, yes. And, like, a quarter of the way into the book, all of a sudden there are bombs going off, like, with some regularity. Um, the, again, as you brought up, the bomb squad is very unconcerned, <laughs> allowing the bomber to strike again mere hours later. Multiple over and times. Over again. I mean, why wouldn't you think that potentially the unknown bomber is also associated with Sam Westing's murder. Right. Like, they're all in the middle of this game and, like, competing for a huge amount of money. And I'm like, this... Mm -hmm. And also, we know that Sam Westing loves theatricality and he loves, you know, the 4th of July and pyrotechnics. And so it never even crossed my mind that that could be a red herring. Yeah following otis amber around and he's like going to some of these strange places he's going to the lawyers he's like just even the act of us going to follow him um with who was it doug Doug. the track star yeah so like 
he he like follows Otis around because there's something suspicious about him. So like that that's this whole deviation. Um, Crow and her like kind of middle of the night weird prayer rituals that she's oh, having. Yeah. Um, you know there there are all of these little things that you know they they just like point your direction and the, they point your attention in in the wrong way. You know, and it worked. I was like, yep, I'm paying attention to completely the wrong thing right now. It worked. It got me. <laughs> um as i was reading this and and we find out that angela is the bomber um but then turtle turtle figures it out and uh she like takes the fall for her she does she sets off a fourth bomb and then confesses um i just want to know like would would you little sister take the fall for me (laughs) i am appalled that you would even ask me that question because i have multiple times taken the fall for you not like i know necessarily of my own personal choice but do you remember let me take you back on a, a little oh, journey I, listen i i freely admit that there has been a lot of bus chucking like <laughs> oh i have bus marks all down my back case in point 1988, 1989. Oh. Wow. Why did I bring this up? Mom yes, takes a young Kelly and a young Karen to Kmart. And mm. I guess we were living in Pennsylvania then. I am probably 12 feet away from you down the aisle in this Kmart. And you proceed to knock off like a ceramic. It, we were in the bathroom aisle. It was like a ceramic soap dish or like a soap pump or well, something. I didn't do it on purpose. Well, I didn't accident. say. I didn't say that you did. But you. Well, you said proceed to. Well, and you did, which makes it sound like I just like raised my little flipper and knocked it right off. So something happened. Some and it resulted there was a crash. in <laughs> there was a crash. The the thing was shattered, and you make hard eye contact with me. <laughs> information is passed in that gaze to which I did not agree and the next word <laughs> out of your mouth is mom Karen broke something at which point mom comes around the corner and is like Karen I can't believe you did that like the Kmart guy was called yeah. to clean it up he was probably like there was 16. a teenager called yeah. yeah and she was like Karen you have to apologize and I was just like I can't is this gonna be my well, life I was I was I was too deep in at that point like even if I had wanted to, which I'm not going to lie and say that I wanted to, but even if I had wanted to, like, back out, I was I was in it. And I knew that the punishment would be so much more severe. Sorry, Mom. <laughs> Sorry, Mom. I'm over here, oh, like, yeah. crying into my Cheerios. I, like, basically went to, like, Kmart jail for, like, smashing soap dishes. You did not go to Kmart jail. <laughs> Yeah, there were very there were very few consequences doled out by Kmart for that. The, the sixteen no, year old was were, like, they it's were fine. all mom consequences. One hundred percent. Karen, I'm very sorry. Would I take the fall for you, Kelly? My response to that is foolish question. <laughs> I will, and then thirty years later, on a podcast, you, you will pay the price. <laughs> yes, you will shame me <laughs> publicly. <laughs> Oh, well, good talk. Good talk. Um, good talk. <laughs> okay, returning to red herrings, and yes. then we'll move on. Um, the the actual mystery that is laid out in the will that sets all of these pairs scurrying off to find the name is in itself a red herring. You're right. So if he had just 
like all of that built in America the Beautiful, the clues on the paper towels, all of that. They got the answer, right? They figured it out. It wasn't the answer. It wasn't. That was a total red herring to throw them off the trail from solving the real mystery, which was to find the fourth. I did not even think about it that way because like so much of the book is them piecing those clues together and it ends up being all for naught, basically. Like it's it's not the answer, but it's the mechanism through which they start to, or at least Turtle starts to come across these other clues that eventually allow her to to solve the mystery and find the correct answer. But you're you're right, the majority of the book they are on a wild goose chase. Yes. And it's my here's my question because this is one of the things that that bothers me about this book, I guess, and I think it's always been the thing that I've never kind of been able to like I've never been able to figure out at the end of it. It feels it feels unsatisfying at the end to me because of this, I guess. Um why? Like what what was the point? You know, like if it, 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 what was it simply to be the red herring to distract everyone to try to find if any of them were smart enough to figure it out and therefore inherit the company? Like, was it really there just to be a distractor from the real mystery? Or is Sam Westing just still a jerk and he likes manipulating people and watching them run around for nothing? Um, was I, this just yeah. like his fun way of making them get their $10,000? Like, what What was the po- I don't know what the point was. I think because that is- Because they a- did figure it out. Like, part of me is like, if they hadn't figured it out, it wouldn't bother me as much. But they did figure it out, and, like, nothing happens. So I don't know. Any theories? Well, I think that actually is- It's an incredible question, and it's the perfect transition into what we wanted to talk about next, which is Sam Westing. Like, I think mm-hmm. they're in- is the crux like who is this man who yeah created this elaborate series of puzzles and clues he orchestrates this bizarre living situation with 16 people moving to an apartment complex so we can like right. honestly like mess with them like yeah like what is it's this like, guy's it's like deal this, it's like the rube goldberg machine of humans you yes. know like he's setting all these pins up just to knock them down and what's the point I think it's like, I kept thinking back to like game theory and things like that, how, you know, there are the, the archetypes where there's like chaotic good and chaotic bad. And I, Is I that think game theory, it's, it's game related, like, you know, Dungeons and Dragons, some like nerd stuff in there. Like who are the, the character archetypes that you'll have involved in these, these quests and things like that. And, um, yeah, I think he's like, my takeaway was like, he's chaotic like maybe not even good he's just a chaotic neutral person who's like Mm -hmm. entertained by using people as his little pawns and that's how he gets his jollies and it kind of makes sense because we find out that this whole time he's been watching this he's posing as the doorman living in this apartment complex so he's seeing right. and hearing so he, has, he has a real good eye shot of all of it yes like front row seat to watch this chaos unfold and i think it's yeah. just fun for him like i think he yeah. like we were saying he likes theatricality he likes he obviously likes dressing up in costumes um i think he's just a chaotic little yeah. dude who is like i'm at the, towards the end of my life like this will be fun i don't know what do you think yeah 
I mean, I know I, I think that makes as much sense as anything does, right? Like, I, I, you know, we know that Sam Westing's not a nice guy, or at least he wasn't a nice guy up until his car accident. And, you know, I, I don't, I don't think he's a bad person. I think he has this kind of like really touching relationship with Turtle. And, um, but I just, I keep coming back to this Charlie and the Chocolate Factory comparison where like he plucks these kind of random people out of nowhere and sets up these scenarios to see if any of them will succeed. And it's, it's almost like the, like when they're all guessing the answer at the end and he says, all of you were wrong. It's like, it, it just was so like reminiscent of that, like, get out, you stole fizzy lifting drink, you get nothing moment. You right. Know? Like, yeah. um, so I don't know. I mean, I think your theory explains though, why these people are chosen at random almost. Like they're, they're all like so loosely connected with him. And I, I think I keep trying to put meaning into it. Like are Same. these people that he has wronged throughout his life and now he's bringing them together and this is how he's gonna like, like this, this is make good for them, but no, not really. Not really. I, I'm so with you. Like, I, I kept trying really hard to assign, like, this greater meaning to it. And, like, he did this to show them the value of, like, coming together to, like, bridge bridge their gaps and, like, look across right. their differences to, like, solve a problem. And I was like, that's not what's happening here. Right. And, like, one of the things that was really interesting is that, you know, to your earlier point, like, his beef with Mr. Who, if that's what mm-hmm. he was after, which was to, like go back and right wrongs and check things mm-hmm. off the list that he had regrets about. Like he would have included Mr. Theodorakis in that because Absolutely. George Theodorakis was engaged to his daughter who died, mm-hmm. which is the kind of the crux of a lot of this. And he doesn't even include George in the game. Like George is just oh, right. He's an not observer. even an heir. <laughs> he includes right. his children, but he like includes his children. Like why? It's so bizarre. I do I do think he he loves Turtle though. Oh like I for think, sure. I think he like I don't think he knows who Turtle is beforehand, but I do think he ends up loving Turtle. And did you get the impression at all that he was not like putting a finger on the scale necessarily, but that he was like trying to maybe like nudge her a little bit? I I did feel that way and I though we do have this like omniscient viewpoint, I feel like we do we spend the most time with Turtle. Of all of the mm-hmm. characters. So I was like, maybe I just feel that way because she's the most prominent. And also she was the most interesting to me. But I, I did feel like they had a really special relationship. And in moments, especially towards the end like of, of the mystery solving, it almost – I wanted to believe that he had kind of almost designed some of these clues for her. Um, oh, really? To, like, I don't know. Like, it was so many things where it just seemed, like, very catered to her and her interests mm-hmm. and to show her that she would, like, shine as the <laughs> the yeah. former owner of, or the future owner of Dunder Mifflin or whatever it's called. So, <laughs> um, well, I mean, just the fact that I think all of her clues did actually correlate to stock market symbols. They I mean, did, which was amazing. I just love that this, like, youth immediately is like, we got to play the stocks, Flora. Like, let's go. Yeah. Let's go buy some. And Flora's like, okay, let's do this thing. <laughs> yeah. We're just like thousands of dollars. I'm like, this rules. I love it. 
I was the the one thing that made me kind of think that I mean there were a couple of things where I was like hmm, maybe Barney not Barney, Sandy McSuthers is trying to kind of like push her in the right direction. My favorite one was that as Barney Northrup, he intentionally went up to her and pulled her braid, knowing that she would kick him. Yep. And so then Sandy is the one limping the next day. And And that's kind of how she puts two and two together. She's like, it's the same person he's been wearing in disguise. (laughs) (laughs) I know because of the kick. So anyway. And the way he al- Sandy always winks at her. They have like special yes. signals and stuff. And that helps her realize that like these people are the same. I, I agree. There was something very sweet and like special about yeah. that. Although like, oh my God, talk about traumatizing a child. He like fakes his own death in front of her. And she's like <laughs> in despair. I was like, too far, sir. Too far. Too far. far. <laughs> too far. Uh, should we talk about the gals? I would love to. There are many interesting gals in this book. <laughs> there there really are. Um, I don't know. It was like, I was thinking about this a lot last night and just like going, you know, over the 450 different characters in this book. And <laughs> it's like, it's not without exception, but, and, and I kind of, I mean, I guess I attribute this to having a female author of this book, but I felt like in this book, unlike most, the men are extremely one-dimensional and the women are the much more round, interesting characters. Oh, I can see that. I can see that. Yeah. So like, for example, like, like Jake is just the guy with the dad jokes. Like he has no (laughs) substance. He has no point in the book. He doesn't even show up to like compete in the game because he wants to watch a football game. Like he's just, he's just like kind of holding down a spot in the bed yeah. Um, Doug and uh, Theo, like, it's not like they're uninteresting characters, but they're they're just kind of like Doug is a runner. Check and check. That's really all we know about him. Theo wants to be a writer and he's Chris's brother. Check and check. That's really all we know about him. I did like that with a, a couple of the, the youths, like Theo, the writer, and like Chris, the bird watcher, that mm-hmm. they, I mean, and this is because they're they're younger than the the adult men that you were describing, but they kind of like grow into their role. Like the roles they write down are aspirational. Mm-hmm. Theo's like, I hope I'm a writer someday. And then yeah. at the end of the book, we're like, you are, you did it, buddy. You so are. I did like that. But I think yes. you're right. Like they and, are- and I don't I don't think it was necessarily intentional, you know, because like, I think Chris is a rounder character. Um, and like his relationship with Denton Deer is really kind of sweet. But then when you go to look at the women, it's like they are so much bigger characters. So uh, Yes. Um, and I think, like, first of all, almost all of them are, they're, they're, they're almost all in this position of, like, a cry for help situation. Oh. So, like, Turtle, obviously, in, in, the, in the kicking, you know, like, she has this terrible relationship with her mom. I mean... Listen, I'm not dissing her for the kicking. I'm like, establish those boundaries. I get it, girl. Like, yep, yep. Sidel and her crutches, like, classic cry for help. Angela in the bombings. I mean, Angela, I don't know what else like, you could call that? Very literal <laughs> cry for help. Yep. Grace and, like, her entire personality. I mean, Oof, yeah. Was Grace Angela 
And she got married young, maybe didn't want to, wasn't allowed to pursue her career as an interior designer that she clearly wanted to. Oh, 100%. She's obviously very smart. And, like, now this is what she's turned into. I think that's exactly what it is because she kind of keeps careening around between – she's, like, trying on identities throughout the book. Yes. She's oh, like, that's the perfect way to put it. She's like, oh, this, like, wife thing isn't going great. And she starts kind of ignoring her husband. And then she's really obsessed with party planning. Mm-hmm. And then she's really obsessed with decorating. And then she gets super obsessed with working in Mr. Who's restaurant and being mm-hmm. the face of the restaurant industry and, like, branding for the restaurant and things like that. And mm-hmm. it's like she is – in her later life, pausing, and I don't think she's, you know, necessarily thinking about it in this uh, self-reflective way that we're discussing, but she's just, like, casting about, like, trying mm-hmm. to find something that she is good at and feels good about doing. Um, yeah. And in the midst of that is an incredibly racist jerk to almost everyone in the book, but uh, yes. she is not in a good place, I would say. Yeah, I mean, she is, she's not a likable character at not all. Not at all. And... And and the book doesn't really, no pun intended, like, give her grace. I mean, they call her out for being racist and oh, yeah. horrible to her kids and horrible to her husband and, 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 and. Um, but she also kind of turns it around at some point. One thing I absolutely loved about this book, and I don't know, like, again, I don't know if it's obvious, like, in the first reading or not, or if you picked up on it, but... The women in this book protect each other over and over and over and over again. Say say and more. I loved it. I'm intrigued by this, and I I am already going on the journey with you. But I I want to hear about what you observed. Well, so obviously the first one is like Turtle protecting Angela. Yep. yep. Right. But the judge also protects Angela. Mm-hmm. She she figures out that Turtle is covering, and she lets her cover. And Sidel Pulaski figures it out. She like it wouldn't. It never even crossed her mind to tell anybody. Sidel figures out that Angela's the bomber. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she um she overhears Turtle say something to Angela in the hospital when they're when they're both in the hospital, and oh. she's she says something to herself like, "Oh my gosh!" She she figures it out. Got it. Um, yeah. Um, one thing too when. The judge figures it out, and her next thought is she thinks of Angela as that pretty, that pretty sweet thing or that pretty young thing. Yup. And she instantly caught herself and and said, like, thinks to herself, "Oh my God, did I just think of that woman as a thing? That must be horrible. No wonder she's." <laughs> so messed up yeah no wonder she's setting off bombs i think she even said like i would be doing way worse than that yep yep one of the relationships this isn't well it is it is very protective the relationship that just killed me was flora bombach and turtle i like actually shed tears reading this so turtle has the worst relationship with her mom her mom is terrible to her she only has eyes for angela her beautiful older child who's like gonna get married to a doctor and she just completely dismisses turtle and so turtle is paired with flora to solve the mystery and they just fall in love in the sweetest Mm -hmm. way like 
Flora becomes the person who braids her hair every day. Yes. And when Turtle is upset and needs to be comforted, she Flora just will hold her and yeah. sit with her. And I just, oh my god, it was she's, so She's sweet. like her safe space. Yeah, it like broke my heart. And I also, I was so like vengeful because I hated how turtle's mom treated her i was like are you seeing this grace are you seeing this this right. is, this this is, is what, what you should what be doing does. <laughs> yeah. yes um and then and then like you know kind of the last example i can think of at least is like when crow when her name shows up in america the beautiful and somebody i mean the the way the game is set up is that whichever team gives that answer or so they think they're the ones who win the $200 million. Yep. So somebody at that point needed to stand up and say, the murderer is Bertha Erica Crow, and then they would win the $200 million. All of the well, money. All of the money. Well, when they figure it out that it's her, that it's her name, the judge immediately stands up and starts defending her and says, let's not do this. And they don't. Um, I just thought it was really cool. Like, yeah, so they were like, she has this woman has suffered enough already. Like, this mm-hmm. is this would be cruel to like make her go through this horrible death of her child she experienced again. And they, yeah, it's more important to them in that moment to be humane than it is to walk away with the check. Mm-hmm. Well, what did you think about the ending of this book? So we've talked about the mystery. We've talked about all these characters. There are red herrings going on every, every place. Which way. Loose threads mm-hmm. getting wrapped up left and right. Mm-hmm. Um, did you feel with the way that the book concluded, did you find that to be a satisfying ending? I I did because the twist of the Julian Eastman thing, I, I didn't figure it out. Not even a little bit. And I love that resolution i thought it was clever i thought it was like i could have figured it out if i was smart enough and i didn't i loved all of that i love that turtle won um you know i wanted her to win i i loved her as a character i think the only thing that was unsatisfying to me is what we kind of already talked about which is like this like the the chaos of it for no reason you know and like i kept trying to put a I kept trying to put like a higher meaning on it, like, and there just isn't one. And so accepting that, I'm like, oh, I need it to mean something. And it just doesn't. And I have to let that go. Just move, <laughs> so. just move on. <laughs> How about you? Satisfying or not? I, I found it very satisfying. And I think I just as a, a reader, I am I, I like I love a short story, which many people might not like. I love when a short story is just like kind of ends in a nebulous philosophical place like that doesn't bother me at all and I think I am very resistant to plots that tie up too neatly and it's like Mm -hmm. everything fell into place and the moral of the story is the following and here's Mm -hmm. what here's what it all meant like I get a little bit like horked out actually when it's too tidy at the end (laughs) too perfect so I kind of enjoyed that the the there was I enjoyed that Ultimately, some things didn't have a resolution, and that mm-hmm. seemed more human to me. It's like, yeah, yeah. Sam Westing made mistakes along the way, and he right. didn't really know what he was doing all the time. And so, of course, there's no perfect summation of this. He was right. 
flying by the seat of his pants, um, which is like redolent of who he was as a person. So I, I enjoyed it. And this book for me was, it's so character driven. And I thought yes. the characters were so interesting and so fun that I didn't care as much about a super clean plot. Yeah, the tidy up. Yeah, I was like, I just, I love knowing where they all ended up and, and what they got out of yeah. doing this. One thing that I realized this this time in reading it, and I hadn't realized this before, and, and you probably haven't realized this because you've only read it the one time, but they kind of, Ellen Raskin kind of tells us the answer on the first page of the book. Like, Wait, literally what? on the first page of the book, she, um, maybe I'm going to flip to it. Please hold. The en- the last sentence of my first of my page one is, the delivery boy was sixty two years old, and there was no such person as Barney Northrup. Oh like, my god! That one little piece of information, I mean it. It's it's the answer to the whole thing. Like that key that unlocks everything. And once again, we know that, and nobody else does. Yep. Yep. So, oh um, genius! I I genius. did not realize that. Even more appreciation Genius. now. <laughs> yeah. Well, I have some uh, hard-hitting questions for you to wrap this up, Kelly. I knew that you would. All right. Question number one. Yes. Turtle decides that she would love for Flora to call her a different name, and she tells Flora uh, to call her Alice. I don't know. Why? <laughs> I don't know. I've I've wondered that for forever, and I, I don't know. I don't think it's ever answered. I... <laughs> I, I keep trying to put like an Alice in Wonderland yeah. kind of thing on it, but same. I don't know. Part of me just thinks that like Turtle likes the name Alice yeah. better than Tabitha Ruth. She's like new New Year, new me. Mm-hmm. I'm grown up now. I'm Alice. Well, and I'm you know I'm sure that her mom calls her Tabitha Ruth. You know, maybe she just picked a different name because she didn't like what her mom called her so <laughs> oh, I, don't, I don't know who knows <laughs> oh turtle i just want to hug her um okay that was a that was an intense question here is a funny question <laughs> i'm ready angela has a bridal shower mm-hmm. some guests come to the bridal shower that we never see or hear from mm-hmm. again only one of them is named <laughs> <laughs> that character's name kelly was mm-hmm. cookie barf springer <laughs> Like know, it's insane, amazing. It's, like it's first amazing. of all, and second of all, I was like, more. Co- I would need more cookie. Like cookie barf springer. Tell me everything right. about this person. Like you know, if if there is an afterlife, and I get to ask my five questions at the pearly gates, like right after the answer of, you know pick four true crime mysteries that I want to have solved. Like, where did you come up with Cookie Barfspringer? And like, who is she? Like, who is Cookie Who is she? Why has she not changed her name yet? Like, we keep talking about this with the Nancy books. I'm like, spin off novel. Spin off. True life of Cookie Barfspringer. I would read it. Mm. Um, okay. Yes. My last question for you. Something that irked me and I was not yes. able to suspend my disbelief about People keep getting injured in this book. Yes, frequently. At at which point, they are taken to the hospital. These Mm -hmm. people who have been injured have very different injuries. Like, one of them has an explosive blow-up that they're holding. They're, like, they're a burn victim. One of them breaks their leg. 
The other one goes to the hospital for, like, a new, like, neuroscience treatment. And they all keep getting booked into, like, (laughs) either the same room or the same, like, corridor of this hospital. I'm like, what is this hospital? (laughs) It seems like a really poorly organized hospital. (laughs) That is such a good point. And I've never thought about that before. But you're totally right. Like, Chris like, is there to Angela have, Angela like, is a burn victim. Why yeah. is she put in with Sidel Pulaski? And Chris is there to, like, have the, like, try new uh, pharmaceuticals that are going to help right. with his brain chemistry. And he just, like, comes down the hall and is like, hey, guys, I'm next door. I'm like, what? No, you're not. <laughs> no, you're not. Sure, Surely there's a neurology wing to this hospital, Chris. Like... Okay. I'm glad that I was like, did I read this no, wrong? That's funny. What, one of my favorite things was, and, and actually this... Your your point makes me think of follow-up questions on this. One of my favorite parts was when um, Angela and Sidel are in their hospital room and they want privacy so they can talk about their clues without anybody spying on them. Um, they put a sign on the door that says, like, contagious disease. <laughs> and now I'm like, where did they get that sign? Like, did th- I, I didn't get the impression that they just, like, wrote a post-it note. Like, With, like, a, a Sharpie. Did they just have access to contagious disease d- signs? Like, yeah, like the COVID wing, you know, right next door. <laughs> yeah. maybe, maybe smallpox was right next door. And they were like, just going to borrow this real quick. Got to talk about our Westing paper product. Yeah, like, yep. yeah. Confusing hospital. That's okay. I'm Very glad, confusing hospital. I'm glad I didn't just misread. <laughs> nope, nope. That's a that's a fair that's a fair point. So, um, well, with that said, I'm curious to know what your rating is going to be this week. Okay. So, I've made the decision that even though there were there there were probably a dozen rating metrics that I came up with, um. I'm so excited to see what you chose. We we've landed on. I've landed on. We're going to be rating the Westing game out of a possible twelve custom painted crutches. <laughs> um, but Perfect. I was. I just for for like the sake of nostalgia and reference, I was very much torn between that and twelve windy wind clapples. But we are going to go with custom painted crutches. <laughs> much harder um, to make an Instagram post of must, our rating of much harder windy correct. wind clapples. So correct. Um, so I'm going to rate it 10 out of 12 custom painted crutches. Oh, not 12. I'm surprised. Not, not 12. I mean, I think it can be topped, but it is certainly, certainly superior to Nancy Drew and the Secret of the Old Clock. So 10 (laughs) out of 12. I love it. What say you, sister? I am also a 10 out of 12 custom painted (gasps) crutches. Oh, we agree. We agree. I just really, I really enjoyed it. And I removed I'm one. I'm so glad. I removed one painted crutch because the hospital made no sense. And I removed another painted crutch because I just, I, oh, I hated Grace so much, which is not, yeah. hating a character is not a reason to judge a book. I just, I wanted to hug Turtle the whole time and I was Listen, so you, sad. You gave- you gave two very good reasons. I gave zero reasons. I'm, just, I'm going like on a on a gut rating type thing. <laughs> I love it. No, I it I think no I'm offense. on the same page. Like I really loved it, but it's should it get a hundred percent? Will it be the best book that we read on this podcast? I don't know yet. So I don't know yet. Yeah. Who knows? Will TBD. anything ever get thirteen out of twelve? We'll find out. <laughs> We don't. We don't know how our rating system works. It's different it every week. Cha- changes every week. <laughs> well, hey, I'm I'm seriously super glad you enjoyed it. And if you're lying to me, just you'll have to lie to me about it forever. Now. Forever, so, forever. <laughs> yeah. Lock in the lie. 
Um, well, this concludes our first Super Sleuth episode. Back to our regular reading next week. And what is that going to be, sister? Oh, Kelly, we're reading Nancy Drew and the Mystery at Lilac Inn, and I am not looking forward to it. <laughs> I, ugh, I, I don't want to. I, I knew you were dreading this one, and I'm, I'm like doubly excited for it as a result. So, there's going to make it. <laughs> no, there's a ghost on the cover. I hate ghosts. I I'm already. I All I have to say is, is give Nancy some cred. Okay, like you're right. She does not go for the supernatural philosophies. This might be the first one, but like I think there's going to be a, like a real flesh and bones solution. I that is the only reason I'm willing to go down this path with you like there better be (laughs) or else i will Um, never sleep again (laughs) we've committed to this podcast we're gonna have to do it i know i know we made this bed i will lie in it karen maybe maybe this is maybe there's gonna be a magician in it you don't know that would be awesome i'm still holding out for a magician in river (laughs) so it it could it could happen (laughs) that will keep me reading thank you much more creeped out there's a cover i don't know that i don't remember the title of it but there's a cover with like what appears to be a full-size marionette ballerina on the cover and yes i don't like that at all i yeah it's very reminiscent of like saw or something yeah Uh, yeah. i'll I'll remember to be gentle with you when we read that one okay thank you oh i guess (laughs) i'll be gentle with you then thank you i appreciate it (laughs) well Gentle listeners, if you're enjoying the podcast, we would really appreciate it if you would take a moment to rate, review, and subscribe and help us spread the word. You can find us on Instagram at It's a Clue Podcast, on the interwebs at www.itsaclue.com, or you can contact us at It's a Clue Podcast at gmail.com. Yes. And as always, we will conclude with some wisdom we took away from this book. Remember what we learned today in the Westing game, Kelly. Are you ready? I'm ready. If what did we learn? If you're having like severe problems with your feet, like don't you don't need to suffer in silence. You don't. You can find a good podiatrist or you can use a good insole for your shoe and it will work wonders. Excellent advice. <laughs> yes. Very practical this week. <laughs> we I mean, well, now we have batteries in our purse. We've got insoles in our shoes. We always take a buddy. We always take a buddy. I mean, these are just good life lessons. They really are. (laughs) They really are. Well, should we do it? Let's do it. All right. And with that, happy sleuthing. It's a Clue is hosted by Kelly Biscopink and Karen Farmer. Our logo is designed by Courtney Kyle. You can find her on social media at I am Courtney Kyle. The It's a Clue theme song was written and recorded by Danny W., you can find her on Facebook at Danny W. Music. Audio engineering is graciously done by our friend, Mark Goodlow. <laughs>